Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher. And today we're going to talk with everyday adventurer, backpacker, and storyteller, Elliot Costlow. Among some of the great stories Elliot has to share, I am super excited for this episode for a number of reasons. First, Elliot has climbed the mysterious Mount Washington twice. This is the highest peak in northeastern U.S., and it has quite a reputation that we'll get into. Second, Elliot does the majority of his adventures without any human companionship, which brings with it a whole set of inner experiences that we'll dive into. And third, in point two, I said he adventures without human companionship, but he does often go backpacking with his dog, Bailey. And I don't think we've talked to any guests on this podcast yet about adventuring with a pet, but I know it's something that so many of us do, so I'm excited to dig into that too. Elliot is an avid hiker and a backpacker from Pocosin, Virginia, and he now lives in Gloucester, Virginia. He has stories to tell, and I'm excited to share them with you all today. Elliot, welcome to the campfire. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good to be here. I'm, I'm excited to dive into some of these stories. I think what we'll do is we'll start with Mount Washington. And that was, uh, you and I had an, we had an hour-long conversation um, a week or so ago before we scheduled this. And uh, that was one of the things that really piqued my interest because I grew up in the Northeast and I remember seeing the bumper sticker on cars that said, I climbed Mount Washington. And I was always like, well, what's that all about? And I've heard about the crazy weather and you know, it's um, it's kind of an elusive, mysterious place um, for being only 6,200 feet high. Tell us a little bit about Mount Washington. Well, uh, as far as the weather goes, I believe that's what that uh, the mountain is most notorious for. Um, I believe four weather patterns converge on it all at once. I've heard of it being used as a training ground for uh, people who aspire to climb Mount Everest, uh, Mount Rainier, um, even Denali. And uh, it definitely has a, a neat reputation and a very deadly one, too. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you go out west and it's like, you know, 10 to 14,000 is, is, you know, what, what the mountains out there get out to. I mean, we're only talking 6,000 feet. Like, it's, it's wild. Like, so can you tell us about Mount Washington and some of your experiences on it? So um, the little bit of history that I know about that mountain is... In the early 1600s, uh, English settlers were trying to gain access to that land from the local tribes in the area. Um, the tribes in the area, I believe, uh, they believed that a god lived on top of the mountain. Mm. Um, and so to gain the trust of the tribes, um, an expedition was done to climb the mountain and, you know, I guess prove whoever, you know, they were trying to impress that they were worthy to come on the land. Accidents happen on that mountain all the time every year, a lot of deaths. Um, they say even on a clear day on the summit, you can see the Atlantic Ocean. And wow. uh, it was even mentioned by early settlers that they could see the white cap of this mountain from the Atlantic Ocean. Wow, that's wild. So, um, yeah, it's just such an intriguing mountain. And I, and I did some Wikipedia searching before we spoke as well. And, and um, I read that 
Uh, it's got the highest measured wind speed up there, not associated with a tornado or a cyclone. I think they yep. clocked 231 miles per hour up at the summit. Oh, yeah. They, it's interesting, too, because at the summit, they still have some of the um, original like buildings that were placed on the mountain. And I believe the one was is it's like a shed or something. It's like 30 or 40 feet long. And uh, I don't think they built a foundation for it. And so it's actually has these giant uh, these giant chains and that are wrapped around it to keep it anchored to the ground. Cause I mean, yeah, that wind is very wicked up there all the time. Yeah. It's wild. The other I thought was interesting is that the tree line can be as low as 4,400 feet mm -hmm. um, just because of the harshness of the, of the winds and such. Um, also that the summit is considered an Alpine or a tundra climate. Yep. And for that very reason, it's used as a training ground. Yeah, it blows my mind. So, you know, I'm in I'm in North Carolina, and uh, the highest peak on the East Coast is Mount Mitchell, and I think it's sixty eight or sixty nine hundred feet. And I have been to the top of of Mount Mitchell, and it's nothing like what we're talking about here. Um, at least when I climbed it. But um, so you've actually climbed Mount Washington twice. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Can you uh, can you tell us about those experiences? My first attempt was a winter climb. Um, I, I felt like I was sort of going out of my own element. I needed a challenge. I had a desk job. I got a guide for it. And um, I believe it was uh, Mountain Guides. I had a guide from them. Um, very nice people. You know, they got rentals and everything if you don't have your own crampons or mountain gear or whatever. So we, I took off for that in the morning. It was early, about maybe five or six o'clock. Met up with my guide. We headed out. And uh, when you stop, we stopped at Pinkham Notch. It's like this place that has like showers, bath area. Mm -hmm. um, it's for like through hikers on the Appalachian Trail because the trail is very close by, actually. Um, you have a gift shop there and everything. And uh, we made our way up to the Lion's Head Trail or Lion's Head Trail. So, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it's about a four mile hike and it's okay. constantly uphill. And that's even before you, you get to the base of the mountain. And then once you hit the base, it's literally just straight up. So it was, it was just you and a guide. Yes. And when you're talking straight up, what, like, describe this for us for listeners, because I'm super curious about Mount Washington. And, you know, is this something I want to do? It depends on how adventurous you want to get. Um, <laughs> I mean, when I hear crampons, like that's, you know, this is serious stuff. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely got technical um, a couple places. And uh, when I say straight up, I wouldn't say exactly 90 degree at a 90 degree angle, but if I had to, it was probably close to maybe 70, 80 degree angle. So you're, you're roped with ice axe and crampons and. Yep. At least for those sections, there, there were some sections that kind of like leveled out a little bit, but it was still, I don't think the angles were any lower than the 45 degree angle, at least not until we got up to uh, the Alpine garden section of the mountain. So is this, so this was a winter climb. Is this a day hike? Is it an overnight? It could actually be both. Um, they have survival courses um, that teach you. Uh, well, there's, there's, you know, places, that, you know, companies that teach survival skills and stuff. And they'll take you on the mountain for overnight to anywhere, I think, maybe three days or something. They have you spend the night. I believe some companies do that. Uh, you can do it in a day if you know what you're doing. Um, I've seen people, I mean, th these people are crazy, I think, but I've seen people ski down this mountain at some of the most extreme drops. I'm like, um, no. When I read about the deaths that happened on Mount Washington, the two things that were noted was hypothermia because people are not prepared. 
mm-hmm. and ski accidents. So <laughs> that that plays into what you're talking about right there. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing too about hypothermia is, um, especially on on a, a climb like that, at least in that environment, something that I learned while I was up there. You know, you, you talk about you know dressing with layers. You have your your base layer, then you have a mid layer, which you know you shouldn't ever really take it off unless it gets really warm. And then you have your outer shell, which is supposed to be like the last you know layer that you have that keeps you ultimately warm um, when it gets extreme. Uh, some people don't wear the right gear um, or the right fabric. Um, cotton's a big one where it, you know, just absorbs your sweat. It doesn't wick off. Uh, when people go to shed their, their layers when they're getting hot, it can get really cold and really fast, especially with that wind. And that's where the hypothermia can kick in really quick. So kind of walk us through the winter climb. Cause I believe that uh, you got kind of stalled out by some weather on that one. Yeah, that and um, it, it went from being like, I believe, like negative nine degrees at the summit when we were below the cloud layer. Um, once we broke the cloud top, uh, the sun was out. It was beautiful. Uh, even some of the snow was melting off the trees. I never got an accurate temp reading for that. But for for it to melt the snow like that, it was definitely that we were down to our base layer. It was that warm. So it was negative negative nine and it got warmer, actually, the higher you went as you got above the clouds. Yeah, that wasn't until we started at the second dome. Um, at least, the, it was like I guess it's the last stretch before you actually get to the summit. We got to a certain point, and there was a it, it, the weather just changed. That that's all it was. It, it was it wasn't safe to come back down. Like sometimes you just gotta you get to a certain point, and you, you can't jeopardize. You know, you, you made it so far. It sucks that you have to turn back, but it, it was probably the good decision because I don't think. I was prepared for bad weather, at least to, at least, you know, hold it out because it was supposed to be like a day climb and weather can change on that mountain very sporadically. And you said, so did the guide make that call? They, they kind of wanted to keep pushing a little bit. And with it being my first experience, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have to say that I was very great that they were respectful. You know, the the guide that I had, she was respectful about it because she, she was trying to edge me on, you know, you know, come on, let's keep going. You can do it. I'm like, yeah, and you know, you get to a certain point too, and it's like, I, I don't want to put make this guy have to take care of me if something happens, right. you know. And a lot of guilt and everything starts running through your head, and it's just like, no, you know, like I just I try to press on a little bit, but the more I saw what it was looking like and everything, I'm like, nah, nah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it, it was it was enough to make me want to, okay, yeah, let's just turn back. I just don't feel safe. Yeah. So I'm curious. Okay. So this was your first experience on Mount Washington. Was there, but you, there, but there were, there were ropes involved. There were crampons involved, ice axe. Like what level of training did you have to get like at the start before you started? Um, it was basically like a 20 minute rundown, you know, of what we're going to, we were going to do. Um, I, there was a rundown course before we headed out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she briefed me more when we got to uh, Pinkham Notch and everything. And uh, for the most part, I mean, she instructed me as we went, as we climbed. And um, yeah, I mean, the only thing about it, it was very nerve wracking for being a first time and kind of learning on the spot. So can you tell us a little bit about the nerve, like what, what made it nerve wracking for you? Like what, what, what came into awareness for you as you were doing this? Well, uh, the, the, it became very surreal for me. Um, the excitement and confidence that I had started, I think, trickling uh, towards the beginning of the hike when we were actually making our way up that four mile incline to the base, you can, I mean, it's very foggy out. The air is still, it's very, you know, very quiet out and you can smell the pine 
it's beautiful. You know, it's so relaxing. And then in the distance, you hear echoes of what sound like boulders. And then you hear rumbling. And then, you know, the guide is like, because after you ask her, I asked her, I'm like, so what, what is all that echoing and stuff? Because I'm like, it almost sounds like thunder. She's like, well, it's either falling boulders or it's uh, small avalanches. Yeah. That's that's when my that's when it became very surreal for me about what I got myself <laughs> into. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have to wear any kind of avalanche um, beacons or anything on that trip? Uh, no, um, it was advised to pack like um, an emergency blanket, um, you know, some form of. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little overprepared sometimes, too. Yeah. Um, so in case I did have hypothermia or if I was a factor. Yeah. Yeah, I I felt like I was prepared for that matter at least to survive. But an avalanche that that's there's so much debris and stuff that come down, especially rocks. You're not just getting buried in snow. You're not getting hit with soft powder. You're getting hit with everything that snow is taking out. Yeah, totally. Well, this is what I think is so interesting about Mount Washington because again, like 6,200 feet, like we have plenty of mountains about that size in North Carolina, and you know, you just don't think about it being like that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's such a dangerous mountain. And they say, you know, being unprepared is probably one of the biggest causes of accidents and death out there, because I think people probably assume the same thing I'm assuming, which is, oh, it's only 6,200 feet. Like how bad can it be? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I think some of the things that people ignore, because like, even though people might read about something or do the research, I think they, I think confidence or maybe, um, I don't know, maybe just sure of one's too being too sure of oneself kind of makes them skip over some things. And yeah. I think sometimes too, people forget, you know, that survival is definitely something that can hit you from, you know, go from zero to 60 miles an hour real quick, you know, yeah. as far as intensity goes, you know, it could be beautiful and everything. And then something might, anything could happen and you're left in that situation. Yeah. So having done that climb in the winter, what are like a couple of the things that, you know, from your perspective, people underestimate about that mountain now that you've been there? I think as far as that is just being prepared, both physically and like just not knowing, having the knowledge of what to bring in case something does happen. You know, it, it, they have a law now, I think they've had a law where because of accidents occurring so frequently that if they find if you have to be rescued and they find that you were you know, not properly or adequately prepared for what you were trying to do, you have to foot the rescue bill. That's because enough people have had that situation. Yeah. So I guess like if we were to just jump to advice, just specific to Mount Washington, you said there's a a certain level of kind of physical preparedness that you need. Like what advice would you have um, for somebody that's thinking about doing Mount Washington in the winter? What, What kind of level of preparedness do you think somebody needs for that climb? Um, definitely some leg strength, you know, core, you, you gotta basically be strong everywhere. I think it, it's, uh, for, for being my first climb, I felt like I was sort of in intermediate shape. It, it was strenuous at times. Um, you know, cause you're, you're just not used to using certain muscles, you know, with, uh, your hand, you know, your calves, you know, using those crampons where you will maybe only have two spikes in front of your toes holding you yeah. upright, you know, and just having to use your arms a lot and everything. It, it's, it's different. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. 
If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Going with a guide, highly recommended. I'm 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 getting that sense from you. Yeah, if it's your first time, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing about Mount Washington. You can get to the summit by hiking, driving, or taking a cog train. And I think that's kind of interesting too. I mean, when you think about, you know, high the high peaks out west, the 14ers, like you're not driving a car up there. It's just mm-hmm. like something sort of like simplifies it or almost makes it seem like not as challenging. If I can drive a car to the top, like what what's what is that piece like? Yeah, and I would have to assume, well, because I've driven up that road too to get to Mount Washington too, because I've always wanted to drive it. It's another part of the mountain that I never saw before. And, yeah. uh, you know, I took a drive up there and, you know, it was nice going up and everything, but coming down, it's just like, it's like hiking back down the mountain. It's harder. Um, they have pull-off spots because your brakes, you're, you know, you're on a very steep decline Yeah, and your brakes get hot. Um, they lock up sometimes. Uh, it, I think it takes longer going down the mountain than it does going up. Yeah, that makes sense. So is it, can you drive to the summit in the winter time or is that something people just do in the summer? Um, I honestly, I'm not sure. I know they have a weather station up there, um, yeah. where they have, uh, I think a crew up there 24 seven. Um, I, th- I think they keep the road up there pretty as well, main, you know, as well as they can maintain it. I would imagine on that road, it's probably a lot of drifting in the wintertime, a lot of ice. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, they're a lot more prepared in the Northeast than they are where I am with the, with the snow removal equipment, but I don't know what it's like going up Mount Washington. I do have to share real quick. Cause I, I told you a, a fun story um, when we spoke the last time, but Mount Mitchell, I had the, it's, it's a similarly sized mountain in North Carolina, but it, of course it doesn't have the snow and the weather conditions. But uh, a friend of mine and I were training for uh, Mount Rainier out West and we decided that we were going to climb Mount Mitchell in order to train for Mount Rainier. And so we spent the entire day traversing back and forth. I think it took us like we loaded up our packs with books and did all this stuff to, uh, you know, to try to like really make the training a challenge. And we did all the traversing. And I think it took us like five or six hours to get to the top. And we got to the top of Mount Mitchell and we came out and we started to see a view. We started to see a vista, started to like feel that excitement of getting to the top of a mountain. And right as we came to the top of the trail, I looked over and I saw somebody sitting on a park bench eating a hot dog. And I look and they're sitting next to their car and I'm like, oh, we just worked so hard. And you're telling me I could have driven to the top. I want to know, is that what it's like when you get to the top of Mount Washington? Cause I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if it's a, if I've never been to Mount Mitchell, but uh, I don't know how, how, was it windy up there? No, it was a summer climb. So it was really actually quite pleasant. I'm sure that guy was sitting there in a t-shirt and shorts, eating his hot dog, enjoying the view. Oh yeah. I, I don't think it's, it's that warm over in Mount Washington, uh, even in the summertime. Yeah. Is it, it, you know, I, I, if I'm going to summit a mountain, I want that rewarding experience. I got to believe Mount Washington gives you that rewarding experience. Yeah. And you know, it's all what you make it. It's like with any hiking trip, um, you know, whatever you try to undertake, it's all what you make of it and what you learn from it. So what was it like when you went back and did it again in the summertime? How was it different? Uh, well, I, I had a little bit knowledge, you know, a little bit of knowledge of the place. Um, 
I knew it wasn't going to be as tedious because, you know, most of the snow had melted. Um, I, I climbed it in June and there were still remnants of avalanches that hadn't melted yet. Wow. And uh, I also, I also came down with the flu. So that kind of made it, <laughs> made it add a little harder. Right? Add, add yeah. a little challenge to it. Yep. And they, they didn't actually do any real clearing of the trails or anything since winter. You know, it was still early in the summer, I guess, for them. So it, it, I got lost a couple of times trying to find where I wanted to go up, but I finally found my way up there and it, it took me longer than I wanted to. I believe it from the time I started to the time I came back down, it was about, I want to say like 13 hours. Oh, wow. So yeah. in the summertime, is it a technical climb? Uh, depends on what route you take. There's a couple of different routes. Um, there's a trail. I, I can't remember. It's been so long, but um, some parks are just that they, they have difficulty levels. I think at least that when I went there um, that showed like, you know, how difficult uh, certain trails and stuff were at that given time. So I tried taking the easiest one. And I think Tuckerman Ravine was the easiest at that point. No guide second time around. No. And so were there, did, was there crampons, ropes involved the second time or was it more of a hike the second time it was more of a hike the second time i mean there there were some some steep parts um i think it had to do with mainly i think i got off trail a few times like i said uh there were still remnants of avalanches you know you know debris from the winter and stuff um that had been cleared out so it, it was a little difficult you know navigating at first yeah well, I uh, I want to get the bumper sticker. The uh, I've climbed Mount Washington bumper sticker. I used to see it all the time as I was a kid. So I appreciate you sharing about that one. But th that that's just one of your many adventures. What are some of the other hikes that you've done? Um, so I guess one of the most notable one that I've done uh, quite a few times is uh, it's the 70 mile uh, Laurel Highlands hiking trail in uh, Pennsylvania, Southwest Pennsylvania. Um, I've done it a, quite a few times, a lot of sections of it a few times. I believe my first through hike of it was, it was six days, five nights. And I want to say it was in the spring of 2016. Yeah. So tell us about that one. The Laurel Highlands hiking trail, 70 miles. Tell us what's, what that one's about. So uh, that was sort of like, uh, I guess, if you will, uh, my self-initiation into what I wanted to do with hiking and how far I wanted to take things. I'd never undertaken something like that before, especially, you know, basically roughing it for six days. Yeah. I, my pack, it was an old, it was a military surplus. It was a Marine Corps IFLBE or something, uh, main pack without anything in it, just by itself, it's about eight pounds. And you know what they say? Pounds equal pressure, pressure equals pain. That's right. <laughs> my first through hike, this through hike, I had about, I want to say between 50 and 60 pounds on my back. Wow. I think you saw from the Instagram post with the story that I included with that little clip, that second day was probably the worst day I've had ever in my adventures. Let's go there. It's a, it's a fun story. So this is your first time like overnight backpacking on a multi-day trip, right? Yes. And this is, and this is day two. And this is like, let's learn from Elliot, like how to prepare, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the first rule I would say is never wear cotton. Okay. <laughs> never wear cotton. That was, that was the first mistake I realized on that second day. The second rule is probably do more research. Um, at the time, I was never, I never informed myself, or I should say I never gained access to the information properly, where it was about a 19-mile section, I think, and all the water sources were dried up, and they were known to be dry through most of the year. Um, I had about two liters of water that I had gotten from a potable uh, pump, you know, source at the campsite on my first night. I was quickly, I quickly went through that, probably maybe halfway into the 19-mile hike. 
and my dehydration got so bad. Mouth got dry, couldn't sweat. Um, the fatigue just, it, it was just different. You know, I, I was just, I was even picking up pebbles and putting them in my mouth just to get some sort of moisture. Wow. Every time I cross like this, uh, they have these maintenance roads, these gravel roads mm -hmm. um, at some intersections. And I would go up and down maybe 100, 200 yards on each direction, trying to find at least you know a pothole with something in it. Couldn't find nothing. And about five miles before I got to camp, I look down to my left and I see about maybe 80 yards down this little mud puddle. I mean, it was so, I mean, it couldn't have been more than that big. For those that are just listening, you're talking like uh, maybe the size of a small pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very shallow, uh, yep. very muddy and uh, definitely a smell coming from it. It was definitely there for a while. And so there were some bugs in it. And luckily I, I had a uh, water filter. Um, it was a little Sawyer mini mm -hmm. and, uh, you just fill the pouch up with as much water as you can fit in it and then screw on the filter and then squeeze it. And it just, it filters the water. And, uh, I got about maybe a half liter from that puddle, which it, it got me the rest of the way to the campsite. But, uh, on that video that I, that you saw on Instagram of me trying to light the fire with a flint and steel, yeah. uh, a friend of mine who dropped me off at the trailhead, had given me that flint and steel and said, I want you to use this and record it whenever you feel you're at your lowest during this trip. Oh. And, uh, cause at this point he was like, you know, we, he was, he was trying to get me to film myself, but at the time I just, yeah, you know, I didn't want to bring a camera with me. And, uh, it, I also was fighting a staph infection during that trip, okay. which is why I had that bandage on my left arm. Yeah. You like the pain. You, you, you like to go after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was something, uh, you know, I definitely learned a lot about first aid. That's wild. So, so round out this hydration story there, or I should say dehydration story. So, um, you know, I, I packed plenty of snacks, uh, even had some salt pills. I think at the time I, I never, I eventually gained the knowledge to pace myself when I drink um, mm -hmm. or when I hydrate mm -hmm. instead of chugging whenever I feel, you know, parched or, you know, I need to quench my thirst that that's going to come naturally. And you know, it's, it's okay to take a couple sips here and there, but gulping your water down like that all at once, especially when you're really hot, it, it just, it just makes you more thirsty. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we can laugh about it now. You're obviously okay. It's, but that's, you know, one of the biggest dangers that happens to somebody when they're out on the trail, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes that too, you got to pace yourself. Um, you know, same thing in wintertime, you know, you can suffer hypothermia, um, by sweating too much. And a lot of people don't realize that you, you have to move instead of moving 80 to 90%, you know, physical intensity, you know, you, in the wintertime, you drop down to maybe 30 or 40%. In the summertime, it could be the same thing. If it's really hot and humid out, uh, even if you're in good shape, you know, it's still good to just pace yourself. You'll eventually get there, maybe not at the time you want, but it's better to pace yourself rather than to rush. Yeah. So you had, you started with about two liters to go 20 miles. So if you were, if you were uh, doing it right, like if you were going to do that again, how would you do it differently? So my second time I tried it, well, that, that got rained out. That was a terrible experience too. But the third time I wanted to make, I wanted to set a new record for myself. So instead of doing it in six days, I, my goal was three days and two nights. Wow. And uh, it, it was definitely a lot better. And I, I brought along some supplemental drink powder and stuff. And, you know, that those added vitamins, that really helps too. 
um, you know, at least, you know, keep you going. Uh, the only thing I forgot on that, that attempt was uh, the hiking sticks because I had shin splints on both legs um, mm -hmm. on my second day. So I, instead of doing it in three days, I had to do it in four. Wow. So, but was, was it the same deal where you had roughly 20 miles without a water source? Um, yes. Yeah. That, that, that time around, yes, it was very dry. Um, it was actually a longer stretch the, that time around, instead of camping out, there's a campsite about the first, after I think six or seven miles in, um, if you start from the North going South, um, I didn't spend the night like I did the first time I trudged through that. And the first day, I believe, I want to say it was 24, 25 miles. I was definitely more prepared for that one. Um, I think I only maybe only packed maybe one and a half liters. And, you know, I, I the, my saving grace was I stopped at that campsite to refill um, just in case, you know, I brought a little extra with me. Yeah. And I think that, that that really did save me. So how much water do you need for 20 miles without a water source? Um, it depends on how hot it is, you know, how, how well you're prepared as far as dress goes. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, third attempt um, where I did it in four days. My pack weight was only about 20 pounds, uh, maybe less. Even with my water and food, I packed very lightly. Uh, the only clothes I packed were, you know, the ones I had on my back. Uh, socks, big thing, always bring tons of socks. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, I was definitely better prepared as far as uh, dressing myself, at least layers. Um, instead of wearing cotton, I had synthetic layers. I was definitely a lot cooler. It was still just as hot and humid. And uh, it was just, I, I think I'd learned a lot more since that first through hike because I had taken other trips beforehand, you know, and other day trips. And so I learned a lot. And so that's what got me through that attempt in such a short amount of time. Got it. And for listeners, if they're just kind of wondering, I think no cotton is pretty standard um, backpacking rule if it's not like super dry. But what what is the what is the reason for no cotton on the trail? Cotton doesn't wick your, your sweat away. It absorbs it. and um, it actually retains heat. Um, you want something that wicks that, that sweat away because even though, you know, it, it is used to cool you off and everything, it's also going to make your body, your inner core, you know, your inner body temperature higher, especially when you're doing physical, you know, uh, exercise and everything. And so you're, you're trying to not use as much water in your body. So, you know, things that wick away your, your sweat instead of, you know, keeping it in, that's a lot better. Got it. Yeah. It also uh, doesn't dry out if it gets wet, right? It's harder to dry. Yep. <laughs> so cool. Well, um, you've done so many different kinds of hikes, but I think one thing that's super interesting to me is the fact that you do so much of your backpacking solo without human companionship. Can you, is that intentional? Yes. And, and I mean, it, it, it almost has to be. Um, you know, I, I've, I've taken a couple of people out on hikes and everything like that, but, uh, a lot of the trips that I do like multi-day trips and stuff, I prefer to be by myself because I, I trust myself more, you know, and a lot, not a lot of people are, are into that kind of stuff. Uh, especially the friends that I, ha I had while living up there, you know, that I could bring them along for day trips or whatever, or day hikes, you know, short down and back a couple of miles, no sweat, but the multi-day ones, you know, when you, you tell your friends about, you know, Hey, you know, come on out. I mean, we know we'll, we'll do 12 miles the first day. It won't be that hard. They're like 12 miles. You know, I had a hard time running the mile when I was in high school. You know, I know that that's, that's, you know, forget that. that. That's, I think a big deal of it is intimidation, I guess. It sounds almost intimidating. Well, you, you use the word trust, like you trust yourself. I mean, you're, you're out there for a reason. You're out there for yourself. And I think, I guess maybe, can you talk about the word, the word trust there? Is it, 
that you're looking for this experience and you, you, you just basically want to make sure that somebody else is out there kind of at the same level, able to keep up. Sometimes, I mean, I guess that's a small percentage of it, but the largest percentage of it is just mainly, I feel like I get the best experience if I'm by myself. Um, each trip, I always learn something new, whether it's about my gear loadout or, uh, you know, something that I could, could have done better. Another thing too is safety. Um, I know I'm prepared for what I'm, you know, ready for as far as, you know, if I'm going somewhere, I've been there before I know what to expect. You know, a lot of people don't think like that either. I carry, I have a personal IFAC for myself. Um, it had, you know, presser, pressure bandages, you know, tourniquet, uh, a bunch of other stuff, you know, and people think that's going a little extreme when in reality, sometimes you have to use that kind of stuff. I don't want to have to burden someone else having to possibly take care of me for maybe encouraging them to be in that situation with me un unintentionally. So, you know, I, I, another thing is, you know, I don't want that guilt. You know, if, if I'm inviting somebody and I make a miscalculation, because normally I do plan all my own trips out, you know, I, I map everything out. I do my research and everything. And if there's something that I missed and forgot to tell the person that's coming along, you know, I, I don't want that weighing down on me. Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, also, I think when you're out on the trail by yourself, it's just a completely different experience because you're you're in your head and you're, you know, connecting with nature as opposed to like kind of being external with another person. What's that like for you? So you definitely learn a lot more about yourself, um, especially when you're able to complete something that you plan out, you did on your own, you know, you have the satisfaction of that achievement that you 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 did your homework, you challenged yourself, you went in, you know, saw it through, you finished it, whether or not you made your goal of, you know, when you wanted to finish it or not, you still completed it. And that's still something to be proud of because, you know, doing feats like that, are, that might be simple for some people, but a lot of people it, it's doing something like that can be very life-changing for them. Yeah. You said you learned a lot about yourself. What, what kinds of things did you learn? You know, just, just trusting your gut instinct. You know, if you feel like something doesn't sit right with your, you know, with what you're seeing um, and you think, okay, you know, do I need to bring more water for this? Or, you know, how am I going to ration my, my portions of food and water out for this next, you know, section of the trip? What am I going to do for, you know, at nighttime camping out, you know, you think about all this stuff and you're able to really, uh, you know, you can accomplish a lot by doing what you think is right. If that makes sense. Well, I think the other thing is like for me, most of the adventures that I've done have been with other people. And there's, you know, I think there is some comfort in that. Like for me, if I feel like if I get into a situation, I've got other people there to help me through it. And it mm -hmm. almost, it, you know, I'm like, it's, it's a, di it's a different perspective. Cause what I'm hearing you say is like, you kind of have this self-reliance where like, you know, you can get through it on your own, but I'm just, I guess I'm curious. Cause like a six day trip out there completely by yourself. Like, what do you think about when you're, when it's just you for six days? A lot of things, you know, sometimes you sing a lot of songs to yourself nice. in your head. Sometimes you're <laughs> verbal about it. And, nice. uh, you know, it's, you know, you could just look around. It's, you know, it's cool to just sometimes stop too and just look around and be like, you know, wow, you know, this is where I'm at right now. It's beautiful. You know, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. You know, a lot of it is just, you know, encouraging yourself, you know, just trying to appreciate everything around you, no matter how small it seems, you know, like, Sometimes, like one time I've, I had a butterfly that wouldn't leave my foot. I was taking my socks off and letting them air out a little bit. And uh, I tried to shoot. It was a black and blue uh, butterfly. 
and it just kept landing on my foot. Every time I switched it away, it just kept landing in the same spot. I love it. And so, you know, I, I just sat there and looked at it. And I, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take a picture of this. And it was cool. St- stuff like that, you know, even if it's like resting by a creek, so, you know, just stopping, listening to the water. I love this. Okay. So I want to pivot real quick because your Instagram handle is awfully energetic. Yes. And awe is A-W-E, awfully energetic. So uh, one thing we didn't talk about when I spoke to you the first time was that awe is one of my favorite words. And I've talked about that word a lot on this podcast. Um, I've looked up the definition of that word. And my favorite definition that I've read is from Google. It's a reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. And I'm just curious. So like that awe, what does awe mean to you? And, uh, you know, obviously it's part of who you are. It's your Instagram handle. So yeah, I'm just curious. The reason I kind of went with that, it's, uh, it, it does suit me and it's just it, all, all to me means inspirational, you know, something, you know, in the proverbial sense, like breathtaking, yeah. uh, you know, extraordinary or, you know, irregular, I guess, if you will, you know, something that normal people wouldn't go out and do and whatever that normal definition is, I don't even know, but you know, just something extraordinary, I guess. Yeah. So what kind of like, in what ways do you experience awe when you're out on the trail? Sometimes it's the quietness and the simplicity of it. You know, sometimes you you find yourself in a certain spot and it might just randomly hit you. And it could be when you're just hiking, um, you know, you're, you're moving or it's just when you're t- stopping to take a break. You find yourself just in the moment, you know, currently, and you just appreciate it more. Yeah, in the moment. Yeah, I love that. That is definitely just being in the present. Um, that's super cool. So a couple of months ago, I've like, I've done a lot of adventure experiences, backpacking, different things. But like I said, I'd always done it with other people. And that's why I've kind of went down this line of questioning because I did my first just two nights backpacking pretty recently because I wanted to experience that just being out completely in the wild by myself. And uh, that's why I'm so intrigued by this conversation with you. Like, because I think I learned a lot about myself. And what I found out there was, I mean, there was fear, Um, especially like the very first night, um, just being completely out there by myself in my tent. I think at that, I think I was like, I don't know, six or eight miles from a trail, like from like anywhere, if I was to try to, you know, go back to get help. I mean, I was, I was pretty deep. And I mean, I just remember hearing every sound. I mean, every little twig that would fall from a tree, I mean, sounded like an animal or something. And it was just like, so I guess, and, and I, and I would say that the second night was easier than the first night. So maybe it just gets easier, but I'm just curious, like for you, how does fear play in? Does it still play in? Yeah. Fear definitely has to be a factor into it because, um, you know, you'd, you'd be crazy not to have fear. You know, sometimes you can run into wildlife, which I've never had many, you know, run-ins with dangerous wildlife. I've had a couple encounters, but for the most part, they're usually gone before you even see them, you know, especially if you're singing or whistling or whatever. Um, Another thing, too, is sometimes you don't know who's hiding out there. You know, there's some crazy people out there nowadays. And, you know, it's I during my times when I was hiking and stuff, I had a concealed carry permit and I mainly carried not for wildlife. It was it was mainly in case I, I ran into somebody who wanted to do me harm. Yeah. So what I'm hearing right there is yes, the fear is there, but I come prepared. 
Yes. Yes. I, I would, I refuse to be, um, you know, someone make a movie out of me, you know, it'd be a horror movie or something that, you know, where they go in unprepared. No, I'm not that person. No. Nope. Oh, well you're, you're foreshadowing the movie piece, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> People that have listened to this podcast before know that that's coming. Um, so you did talk about a couple of encounters. So you said you haven't had many, but I know you had, we had a fun conversation about, um, a wildlife encounter that you had and an encounter with humans. Um, can you share those real quick? So, uh, yeah, I'll share the, the first one, the animal encounter. Um, I was doing a quick day hike. It was, um, I believe it was called Roaring Run Natural yeah. Area. Um, very nice day hike. You know, I think it was only maybe 12 miles that I was doing. Very, you know, very smooth hike. Uh, it started getting overgrown in some spots. I don't think a lot of people use certain areas of that hike or that hiking trail because it's so far back away from like access points and stuff. Um, so I don't think it sees a lot of maintenance, um, even though they do have like, you know, spots painted on trees to make sure you know where you're going. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going down the trail and mind you, I'm carrying uh, the Diamondback 380 on me, but it's my little ankle gun. You know, it's something I can barely feel when I'm hiking. I'm going down the trail. And next, thing you know, I make a, it makes a sharp left. And as soon as it did, I mean, the grass went to being like almost like I'm six foot eight and it was almost this high on my chest. Wow. And I got maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 feet in. And it went from being that high to maybe waist high. And as soon as I, I hit that clearing, I see this big black thing, just this big black bear just sitting there like, you know, just sort of surprised. And we both just sort of stared at each other. And I don't know how long it was, but I saw it, you know, jump up to get on all, you know, get on two legs and um, or to stand up. And as soon as I saw that, I immediately just went right down to my ankle. Like I just boom, just real quick. <laughs> And I was, I drew it up. And as soon as I came up, that bear had already turned around. It was about halfway down the trail. So I guess that sudden movement might've spooked it, but yeah, I, I'm not going to be some animal's food. Well, you're six, eight and uh, yeah, he was probably more scared of you than you were of him. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, yep. Yep. That, that's yeah. why I, I don't really fear wildlife out there. Um, you know, even by myself. Yeah. So, and then you said you had another encounter that was not wildlife related. It was more human, human related. And this just kind of speaks to the different things that you can experience out on the trail. Yeah. So um, this, this encounter uh, happened on the, the first through hike of the lower Highlands hiking trail that I was telling you about earlier. I had, I had my uh, Glock 19 on my uh, waist strap on my backpack. So I'm walking down the trail. I'm, I'm a little bit past the halfway point. And from the map that I had there wasn't really any roads or any residences within at least 10, 15 miles at least. And so I'm, I'm walking down and it starts opening up and I see this person in the distance, maybe 150 yards. I could see this bright red shirt. I'm like, okay, you know, that's a little odd. Cause you, you run into people on that trip a couple of times here and there, not too many times, but they, they have a certain look to them and you get used to that look. So, you know, obviously if something stands out about someone that's coming towards you, especially in the middle of the woods like that, you're, you're going to be a little cautious yeah. and uh, observant. And the closer I got to this guy, you know, he, I saw he had gym shorts on. He had a very long red shirt, his tennis shoes. You know, he just had plain tennis shoes. They, you know, and I'm thinking like, there, where is this guy going? He has no backpack on. He has no water. You know, and he, he looks a little, he looks a little rough. Not going to lie. And my instinct said, don't, don't go down the trail, go around. Like, yeah. you know, it's clear. You have a good visual. You can still watch them, you know, just, you know, go around them. And I went off the trail, maybe about 15, 20 feet. And he, he had this, 
glare about him. And then I saw I saw his eye movement and it went down to my waist. And when he saw that, he just, you know, I nodded heads with him and he was like, what's up? I'm like, hey, what's going on? And we just kept, you know, going our separate ways. And I kept checking behind me because at one point I thought I heard, you know, the, the leaves crunching and stuff stop. So I, I, I was definitely on edge for that. Yeah. And I later found out a couple weeks later that person had, uh, I think he was an escaped inmate or something like that. And uh, he was being looked for. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good that you were prepared on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. If it might've been a little different if I, uh, if I hadn't been armed because I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he definitely had to have seen that I was armed. And if I hadn't, if I hadn't been, if he had noticed that, I think, yeah, my, my supplies that my, my hike probably would have been done at that point. Might've been a little bit different. Yes. And there maybe is a reason to hike with other people folks, <laughs> but as we pivot to that, um, the last thing I kind of wanted to just chat about was you do, um, although you don't often hike with other humans, you do hike often with your dog and, uh, just wanted to just kind of touch on that briefly. Oh yeah. She's definitely a good deterrent as well, but, uh, you know, she's, she's friendly. If I, if she gets a good body reading of me, she's, her name's Bailey. She's a, a half Dutch shepherd and German shepherd, but yeah, I've taken her on a few overnights with me and she's, she's definitely anxious. She's always on edge. Um, you know, she's even barked at a, at a chipmunk that randomly popped its head out of a log when we were walking past it on the trail. <laughs> um, you know, she, it, it definitely wears her out and she never sleeps at night. You know, she's always on edge. She's always on point. And, uh, you know, the best thing about that too, is even though she has a ton of energy, when we get home from those hikes, she, she sleeps for a whole day or two. Yeah. I love that. So what, what's different between, um, just being out there completely by yourself and being out there with your pup? Well, the pup, I, I have her own, uh, you know, she has her own Molly vest that I, I pack her she carries her own stuff. Like I do, oh, um, cool. you know, I'll, I'll carry a little extra, like some, a leash, you know, her leash that I'll tie her to or whatever. But for the most part, she carries her own water, her own food, you know, it gives her a little bit of a purpose too. Um, it, she is a conversation starter. You know, she does bring people like if there's other people at the campsite, you know, they'll be like, Oh, you know, you know they want to yeah. be around her and everything. And that's a good conversation starter. But at the same time, you know, it, do, it does help with, you know, being more comfortable and, you know, knowing that, you know, you have something that's going to wake you up if something goes wrong or if there's someone or something that isn't supposed to be there. Yeah. It does give you some additional protection, but I'm um, in terms of like, hiking with a dog versus hiking with another human. So when you're by yourself, you're in your head, right? When you're with another human, you can have conversation, you can talk, like it kind of brings you out of your head. What is it like with the dog? Like, are you having conversations with the dog? Yeah. So like the only time I, re I really talk to my dog is when I'm encouraging her. Cause like, she doesn't really like going across bridges. Okay. Um, you know, there's some crossings that we have to do and you know, it, it's, Sometimes I have to be like, you know, it's okay, Bailey, you know, you can do it. And, yeah. you know, that, that she'll, if she sees me doing something, she'll, she'll follow suit or, you know, that's not if she's right in front of me, you know, cause she's so excited. Um, she definitely makes going up hills a lot easier because she, I mean, she really wants to get up top of them. So, um, you know, in that regards, you know, it, it's kind of cool. You know, it's, you know, I don't really talk to her, like I said, but, uh, you know, it's fun to watch her. I think I saw her nose maybe point out a little bit behind you there. She's, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was looking out the window there. So, yeah. So Elliot, for people that um, maybe ha are hikers, but haven't done overnight backpacking, haven't done multi-day trips, but are intrigued um, and maybe want to give it a shot. Like what advice would you have for those folks? I would say, you know what, 
you got to start somewhere, you know, even if you have to do, you know, wear jeans and work boots or something, you know, throw stuff in a pack, go out for a day or a night and, you know, pack a sleeping bag or whatever. Um, one of my very first overnight hikes I did, I did in uh, work boots, uh, jeans and uh, a flannel and a t-shirt. <laughs> a lot of cotton. <laughs> yes. Luckily it was winter time though, but uh, yeah, but yeah, you, you got to start somewhere. So like I said, throw some clothes on, get a pack together and, Head out there, do you know? Do what you got to do. Most important thing is just to get out there. All right. So we we uh, you did some foreshadowing a little bit ago. Um, you've already indicated that you don't want to be in a horror movie. No. What? Well, you I refuse to be it. Or at least <laughs> the you, victim. But you can't. You refuse to be the victim. I love that. Okay, but you <laughs> uh, you you keep doing these epic uh, hiking adventures, and at some point. Hollywood's going to make a movie about you. And when they do, I want to know who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie. It's a tie between Johnny Depp. I like Johnny Depp. Oh, nice. Um, and you know what? Because, you know, he, he is a little younger and he's kind of, he's, he's got, he's done some, a couple few good movies. Uh, Adam Driver. Love you know, it. Adam I think Driver. he's around my, I think he's a little about the same age as me too. So, you know, it'd be okay. fitting. All right. Very good. All right. Um, Johnny Depp, you could help, maybe it could be like multi-year. You could start out like young, like Adam driver could be young you. And then we could move to Johnny Depp as he, as you get older. Yeah, that'd um, be interesting. What's, what's your movie going to be called? You know what? Probably just energetic. Energetic. <laughs> I love it. Awfully energetic is your Instagram handle. If people want to find out more about you, is that the best way to do that? Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, awfully underscore energetic. I also have a little YouTube channel um hasn't really seen a lot of activity on in a while but uh, if you ever want to watch some of the other videos it's called outdoor voyages you know there there's a lot of other cool hikes that i've done on on that channel yeah i mean that's the cool thing about this is like you get outside you go do these adventures and then you get to come back and tell people about it and it inspires other people so i'm excited that you got to share some of these stories with our listeners today and hopefully uh and hopefully they've been inspired as i say those listening i hope that you've been inspired today as much as i have I hope Elliot's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Elliot, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun.